if you were to engage uh, a core group of women and men for that matter uh, in listening and providing feedback, you would teach them to think more critically, listen more attentively and discuss more thoughtfully instead of listening passively, knowing that, well, you're not going to have an exam at the end of the sermon. You know, like not that you're testing these women, but when I know that I have to give feedback, I'm on the edge of my seat. And I think that 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 could probably produce a greater participation in the act of worship if people are knowing that their pastor depends on them to help him make progress in his word work. Hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast, episode 315. I'm your host, Mike Neglia, and our guest this week is Angie Velasquez Thornton. She was on the show a few years ago, and I was delighted to be able to speak with her again about the topic of feedback, why you need it, how to get it, and also how to give it. You see, there's a lot of solitary work in the work of studying and teaching the Bible, but it also can and should be a community project as well, because we're learning from others and also we want to communicate well so that others can understand, apply, and obey what we're teaching from God's Word. So Angie has some real unique insights into why and how. And towards the end of the conversation, we do speak about why it's important for men to be learning from women, why men should be seeking out feedback and input from the females in their realm, in their spheres of influence, Uh, particularly for those of us that hold complementarian positions. Since God made men and women differently, it's important that we try to understand the unique inputs and experiences of the other gender. So I believe that if you listen to this all the way through, you're going to be challenged and also invited to expand your circle of those that we are learning from. Speaking of learning from, we exist as a podcast, but more than that, we are a in-person training ministry of Calvary Global Network. Our next in-person training event is going to be at Valley Community Church in Livermore, which is in the East Bay area of San Francisco, California. Heath Hardesty is pastoring that church. He's been on this show before, and he is excited to extend an invitation for us to, to come to his neck of the woods. So more details will be announced in the coming days, weeks. Make sure that you are signed up for our mailing list or that you follow us on social media to get pre-registration details as we get closer to the date. The date is May 24th and 25th. It's a beautiful time of the year to be in the East Bay of San Francisco, California. So be sure to check out our social media presence on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or our website, expositors.co, and you can learn about pre-registration details and some of the lineup of preachers and coaches that we can learn from on May 24th and 25th at Valley Community Church in Livermore, California. Here's my conversation with Angie Velasquez Thornton. Thornton. 
All right. Angie Thornton, welcome back to the Expositors Collective Podcast. Thanks for having me on again. It's Yeah, there's a, a growing list of the two-time uh, guests. And <laughs> if you do good enough on the first time, then you get invited back for a second. Yay! <laughs> Um, so what's, we're recording this in December. This will be released maybe February, March. Uh, what's your Christmas in Canada looking like? Well, it's, we're already buried in snow and I'm so thankful that my husband bought a snowblower so that we don't have to wait for the snow removal trucks. They come, didn't do all our neighbor's driveways because if they got to get to work, they basically have to do it themselves and then (laughs) wait for the guys to finish what they didn't do. But Dan just blew off the snow and we both work from home anyway. So if uh, all else fails, he can walk our daughter to school because it's a kilometer and a half away, but it's kind of cold and yucky. So (laughs) he drives. (laughs) Yeah, well, this this might be yeah a springtime release, and we can just remember back. We could spare a thought for your cold December. <laughs> Do you guys have snow? Uh, every couple of years, for like one or two days, um, oh. we have. It was just lashing rain this morning, and that's just how it is over here in Ireland. <laughs> All right, opening banter. Check. <laughs> hey, so I want to talk to you, um, like about like. And maybe we could talk about the vocabulary or or narrowing down what you think is the best way to talk about this. But the process of like collaborative sermon preparation mm-hmm. or even uh, preaching preparation that involves other voices or the feedback of people either within the congregation or in the broader community. That's something that I know is important to you. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to to invite you back on and talk more about this aspect of, of sermon prep process or Bible teaching preparation that involves not just you, but others as well. So Mm -hmm. yeah. Why is that important to you? Um, I think because as a Bible teacher, I know that I will only grow as I get feedback. And when I speak at a women's conference or at a women's breakfast or event, uh, it's often hard to find women who can give me critical feedback because they're not trained in Bible teaching or in uh, constructive feedback. So it's common for me to get a encouragement from women who say, oh, that was so good. Thank you so much. And then I learned, even on your show, I you had a guest, I, I don't remember who, because I'd listened to so many of your episodes, but who said that they always follow up that kind word of encouragement with what's specifically a minister to you. And so I've been doing that. And it's been surprising to hear some of the things that people say meant something to them. And like, I remember that episode or two where this came up, people realized they don't even remember having said what the person heard, but it ministered to them. So it's important for us to know what speaks to people and how to reach the audience that is in front of us in meaningful ways. So as a speaker, I want to do, do that. And then also as a hearer, I and as a trained homiletician, I find that there's so many times where, oh, this would be such a great point to include in that message. But, you know, I'm not I'm not going to offer unsolicited advice all the time when I'm at a conference or wherever. But um, there's such benefit in hearing other voices speak into our um, teaching. Yeah. Well, I'd love to come back in a, in a few moments time about, yeah, even even ways to give unsolicited advice or or ways to keep it to yourself and <laughs> and yeah and and I I'm willing to bet I think that was the the one of the Pilgrim Benham uh interviews that has been done and so I'll, I'll link that he has actually kind of a, a feedback grid mm. um that he talks about that mm-hmm. I think will be useful to the listeners if they want to do a, a deep dive but before we talk about like 
Bible teaching as a collaborative event, I think like first and foremost, um, it's, it's a solitary venture. Like, what do you, what's your understanding of like the individual's responsibility in, in preparing to, to teach, uh, any passage of the Bible? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think that in one sense it's definitely solitary because I will give an account for my teaching. Yeah. Uh, James 3, 1 says not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Uh, so that's sobering. I need to remember that because uh, my husband's not going to be held accountable for how I teach. Um, uh, my pastor isn't. It's it's me. And I also think of the parable of the talents in Matthew 25 and how when Jesus speaks of those who uh, were entrusted with these talents, each individual was held responsible for what he had, how he had administered of what had been entrusted to him. And so that's very much an individual thing. And I also think uh, for my brothers who are pastors, I am clearly not, uh, but for my brothers who are pastors in particular, it can be very lonely. And my husband's an elder at our church. So uh, even though he's uh, we're full-time missionaries, he's also an, an elder. And I know that so few can be open and transparent about what they struggle with. Uh, and uh, they often have to find that outside their church, perhaps. And I've heard you talk about the Anglican brother who's a pastor at a church in Cork uh, that you right. uh, talk with. Good um, old Matt. Yes. So it's such a blessing to have that. But um, often pastors feel somewhat isolated in their churches, especially small churches. Uh, and often uh, there's a lot of assumptions and um, misunderstandings about pastors. So I don't know what is the case for all of our hearers, but I know that in the French speaking world, uh, the perception is, wait a second, you work one day a week and you get paid for a full week of work. Uh, what are you doing the rest of the time? How long does it take you to prepare some little, you know, a little message that you share, but most people have no idea how long it takes to prepare a thorough, faithful um, expository message. It's hard work. Um, and as a side note, uh, I've heard it said, some people say that sermon preparation is like giving birth. Uh, and as a woman, I've done both. And I assure you, <laughs> there's no comparison. <laughs> but yes, it's hard work is my point. Yeah, yeah. I've I've heard that sermon preparation is like giving birth. I've heard it a few times, but I've never repeated it. I've never <laughs> said it. It, it seems like that's pretty a pretty bold claim. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is harder? Yeah, uh, a giving birth, <laughs> but then okay. I didn't have an epidural for either. So, <laughs> okay, you know what comes to mind is like is is Romans fourteen. You know, you kind of alluded to this verse, yeah, that each one of us will give an account of himself to God, and I think I think yeah, collaboration is really exciting, and even in my in my church life or my church tradition, we kind of came from a, a very much like a senior pastor um model of like you know there's one senior pastor and and I've since and many others in my network have like really adopted more of a plurality of elders model and I love I guess the collaborative and the teamwork aspect of that and and I love these types of ideas of like um getting help getting resources from others I wonder though, is that because deep down I'm afraid to take responsibility or is it deep down because I just like to share the load or deep down there is like um, padding things out in a broad team when there does need to be that actual sense of responsibility. And that's kind of me imagining the worst about this. Mm. I actually do believe, you know, I'm, I'm convinced from, from so much of, of the importance of like a, like a team leadership and, yeah. and plurality of elders, et cetera. But there, 
at the end of the day, even when there is a plurality of elders, there is, I believe, a first among equals that's called mm-hmm. to that. And there is like a a, a calling to take responsibility. Mm-hmm. I, before we talk about like the idea of a community project, there also is the, the person who's doing a lot of the work and claiming, taking the responsibility and yeah. will stand accountable for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially in smaller churches where you're, you're, you don't have an assistant pastor who's on staff and you don't have a... Uh, uh, up and coming pastor who's, you know, like a, an intern. It's you and several laymen who maybe preach once every month or two. So yeah, you're lonely because you're doing a lot of the work. And I imagine that might be the case at your church. Yeah. I'm the only staff. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but I'm not, I'm not particularly lonely, but I am the, the, the sole um, full-time person. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. So so on the one hand, it's a solitary venture, but doesn't need to be um, full of exclusive, like solitary confinement. You're not on mm-hmm. your own in mm-hmm. this. Um, so how, Angie, have you found that teaching can be a community project, that it can involve others? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a proverb, uh, not a bu- in the Bible, but there's a, an expression. It takes a village a to raise a child. <laughs> yeah, it's a proverbial saying. Thank you. Uh, it takes a village to raise a child. And I think that's also true of the church and not uh, to um, undermine the critical role that elders play. But I believe that elders are called by Christ to shepherd the flock and guard the doctrine of the church. Uh, and he's entrusted them also with gifted men and women to help them accomplish that task. God didn't intend for them to do it alone. Uh, and I, I think of all of these verses in the New Testament that support that idea. Like in Hebrews 10, uh, it talks about speaking uh, of, of spurring one another uh, on to love and good works. And it's in the context of meeting together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the New Testament one another's uh, happen in community, uh, speaking to one another in song, hymns, and spiritual songs, Ephesians 5, teaching and admonishing one another, Colossians 3, 16, encouraging one another and building one another up, 1 Thessalonians 5, 11. And, and then Romans 12, this list of spiritual gifts speaks about how we're all one body. So the the highly hierarchical church might miss out on the rest of the body's contributions and um, elders, teachers stand much to gain from the gifts and insights of their flock members. So that, w- that would be one thought. And then also, I think most pastors would would say that they don't have it all figured out and, and most would say, desire the input of others, but they're often just so busy and it takes work and foresight and preparation to seek out that kind of input, especially before a sermon. Um, and, but even after it, it takes some intentionality. And I, I know plenty of pastors who are just barely keeping up with the demands of the pastorate because they don't just preach sermons, obviously. They're also doing, you know, pastoral visits and taking all kinds of administration on. And it's just a lot of work. So finishing their sermon the night before doesn't necessarily allow them the time to to get as much input on what they've prepared. And so, I don't know, I, I think that I think that a lot of pastors would benefit from it and uh, they can think of the men and women in their audience as their their team, their allies who want to help them and enrich their teaching. Hmm. Yeah. Allies is such a great way to, to, yeah, to view our, I don't know, I, I was going to say to view our hearers, hmm. but then even the idea of a hearer that talks about, well, there's one of us who talks and there's one of us who listens. Yeah. 
um, you know, we avoid, I avoid the word um, audience, mm -hmm. then even hearer almost means the exact same thing. Mm. But to think of the mature people in our congregations or in our, in our contexts, yeah, they're our allies and they give insight into how people think the type of questions that they're actually struggling with, mm -hmm. which often I find people struggle with different issues than like than Bible nerds struggle with, you know? Yeah. They're not particularly interested in like the new perspective on Paul or the pushback against the new perspective on Paul yeah. or or some th synthesis. Like that is interesting to me at the moment, but it's not interesting to anybody else. And so yeah. while that should exist there in the background and mm -hmm. be a stimulating thought, the type of questions people are wondering about like need to be asked, like what's actually important to you this week and yeah. how has God met you? And what are the prayer requests that you have and how can God's word this week be helpful to you? How can mm -hmm. I ask the kind of questions that need to be answered? Yeah, totally. And uh, I think of, I was, I don't know if your audience is familiar with the preacher talk, preachers talk podcast uh, by nine marks and Simeon trust. Um, but they had an episode in which one of their hosts, uh, Kay Edward Copeland, it's, it's, I believe it said the episode is entitled Giving and Receiving Feedback. And I imagine that you have, uh, show notes I'll that put you it share in the these show links. notes. Yeah. Perfect. Um, so he talked about how, although we don't, it, we don't endorse any other preaching. We are the, the one and only, <laughs> <laughs> they are, the they are competition. <laughs> You're my favorite, hands no, no. down. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, they, I, listen, I listen to it like almost every week. It's a really good show. There's, mm -hmm. there's other shows in this, in this, uh, genre of podcasts, and I think they're all good. Mm -hmm. Sorry to, yeah. to interject, but yes. No, 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 not at all. But I'm not joking. This this one's my favorite uh, as much as I like the other one. But um, they were mentioning, so K. Edward Copeland mentioned that in the week weeks maybe or prior to his message at any rate, he will send his text to a diverse group of people in his congregation, the businessman or woman, uh, the blue collar worker, the young believer, the seasoned believer, uh, the single mom, the widow, the Sunday school teacher, maybe even a teenager. I'm not sure. I I, I didn't re-listen uh, again, but I just remember it thinking that's such a great exercise to do. And then he, he'll ask them two simple questions. What question does this text raise and what objections should I make sure to address? Hmm. And, and I find that so helpful because People have different lenses through which they view the scriptures and those kind of in, uh, sources of input will will greatly enhance how we approach the text if other people help us uh, take off our own lenses for a minute and put on theirs. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. Now, you know, I'm, I can see you on the Zoom screen and you have your books behind you and you can mm -hmm. see me and you can see mm -hmm. my books behind me. Mm -hmm. And and I I consult books all the time on on to how to understand a passage, even how to mm -hmm. apply a passage. I might mm -hmm. look to these different things. But to think of the fact that, yeah, we're surrounded by a community in our in our churches, like they're people that we can learn from just as much as these authors of these books. And yeah. they're actually incredibly far more accessible. Mm -hmm. And you can ask them direct questions and they could feed they could feed back. And and that's um, a fabulous resource. Again, maybe moving beyond the idea of like, you're the uneducated and I'm here to educate you. But it's like, man, all of us, we're just trying to figure these things out together. We're trying to, what it means to walk in obedience. And the ones that you ask, their their questions are representative of so yeah. many others who are like you. Yeah. And we should be yeah, really eager to learn from people that are willing to talk to us and answer these questions. Mm -hmm. And that's why I remember discussing this uh, with some women Bible teachers, how 
uh, Jen Wilkin and Kathleen Nielsen and these other godly uh, Bible teachers in the women's ministry realm produce video content and and then books to accompany them that that then churches purchase and that's the content of their women's ministry Bible studies and. In an ideal world, each church should have enough trained women that they themselves can teach their women and not depend upon these resources. And I'm imagining that Kathleen Nielsen and Jen Wilkin and all the others would be happy if they didn't have uh, to sell these resources to unresourced or under-resourced churches. And they, they talk about how women who teach their women directly, they know their audience. They love them. They pray for them. And so it goes both ways. When when your audience is uh, the people you know, when your hearers, when your interlocutors or whatever are people that you have a relationship with, they are going to give you so much more than Jen Wilkin can receive when she's doing a video-based Bible study that's going out into um, the world without yeah. her knowing her audience. And she she understands the limitations of that. But I, I just see that as another reason why we have so much to gain from these in-person teaching opportunities and especially for women who we just don't preach Sunday after Sunday. So we really have to pursue these um, venues and uh, occasions. Yeah. Yeah. Angie. So I haven't warned you about this question, but um, I know that you've, you've taught the Bible in, in diverse settings, in, in diverse continents. Mm-hmm. And you've, I, I'm sure worked hard to kind of know the audience in these different, different contexts. Mm-hmm. How how do you get to know them, and how do you get to know kind of the 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 felt needs, and what does let's say teaching in uh, Senegal or mm-hmm, Senegal. like how do you yeah how would you teach a passage in Senegal perhaps different than you would in Canada? Hmm, uh, that's a great question. Yeah, and uh, I think and, that and maybe it forces you to be too broad. And I, I forgive me if that's too broad of a question. No, no, no. But it's important to realize that our audience. Uh, determines so much of our approach. And uh, unfortunately, I think people in the West think that um, people in the East or non-Western um, countries are story-focused story people and that we in the West are more uh, driven by facts. But I don't think that's true. And I oh, think that a good storyteller... really. <laughs> well, you know, like we we kind of are used to hearing a lot of Paulini pistols preached, right? In a lot of our churches. In fact, I remember in seminary, my preaching professor, Dan Green, whom I will be mentioning uh, later on, um, said that a lot of times guys graduate from seminary and they have a wrinkle in their Greek New Testament or from in the Pauline section because that's where they end up going the most. Um, and yet narrative is the majority of the Bible. And uh, I think that uh, Western hearers appreciate a well-woven story from scripture just as much as a Senegalese sister would. And I tend to uh, seek out opportunities to teach narrative because I think that they know those stories so well. They 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 come to life in, in ways that um, more, not literate because the women in Senegal can read, but that are more, are, are highly intellectualized church culture maybe doesn't uh, focus as much on storytelling. Yeah. So that's one thing I would do, focus on the storytelling. And then obviously applications that are um, taking into account their unique experiences um, in their culture and not, you know, in the West. Okay. And is that from demographic research? Are you reading these sort of things? Or is it through interacting with women in Senegal and then back home and, and noticing the differences? 
Well, I did have a lot of missiological training before I went overseas. So um, our mission had us go through some intense training. And then I I kept up and I was um, I had a good friend who was a missionary in Africa for many years. And then he ended up uh, leaving the, the direct field to work in um, storytelling and training pastors and preachers and teachers in storytelling. And so that yeah. really helped me understand. His name's Tim Brannigan, and uh, he's amazing. And so he really helped me see the importance of, of storytelling and how a lot more of the Bible is story than didactic uh, epistolatory literature. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so that's, yeah. And so to to me back up a little bit, you were speaking about, you're kind of referencing how K. Edward Copeland would, would ask, you know, blue collar workers and young believers about the passage. Um, Is that from like, would he text them these questions or would he gather them together? Um, Or what are ways that you think that we could, interact with people in our congregations to ask these kind of questions about the texts that are coming up? Mm -hmm. Uh, I believe if memory serves me correctly, that he sent them an email and then asked them, send me, send me just, and if we ask too much of people, then we're probably less likely to get much feedback, right? Uh, So there's probably certain people that you can literally print out and hand them a feedback form on a Sunday morning and say, I want you to give me this filled out um, uh, by next Sunday, you know, or, or by Tuesday, whatever. Uh, but some people maybe two simple questions via email and they, uh, know that all you expect is, you know, two paragraphs and that's doable for most people. And so I believe that's what he said. He just sent an email. Okay. All right. And what do you do? Uh, so I don't teach as often. So when I do, I, uh, get, I, I'm on a face on a WhatsApp group with the women that I teach with. And so mm-hmm. we will discuss our passage and we'll share our manuscripts. And I get a ton of pre-teaching feedback because I have the time. I have the luxury that you as a pastor preaching on a very regular basis don't have. And so I receive feed. I sent Taylor Turkington my manuscript before I taught at uh, the TGC Canada National Conference on Exodus 1 um, a few weeks ago. And so I got great feedback from her and from other women. And oh, I even asked, there's a Facebook group that if any women are uh, listening and interested in joining, it's called Women Bible Expositors. And so it's for women who are in a teaching ministry. So I asked on that Facebook group, would anyone be willing to read my manuscript and give me feedback? And so a woman that I didn't even know, who's now become a friend, uh, ha- took the time to give me extensive feedback. So that that really helped uh, sharpen my um, manuscript. Wow! And so that was for you know we could say kind of a kind of a big message. You know, yeah. that was re- re- um, would you would you seek out that much feedback on a when it's when it's you and the regular the regular girls going through the regular passage. Forgive me, women, ladies, girls, I don't mean to be demeaning. No offense taken. No okay, offense okay, taken. just want to be careful. <laughs> I appreciate your sensitivity. Um, I don't teach in small settings anymore, only because when I get invited, I immediately channel one of the women that I'm training to take that uh, because I really want to equip and then launch other women into ministry. So I only speak at conferences and... Uh, and it's not because I only I only want the spotlight, but it's because yeah. if other women are eventually going to replace me at yeah. big conferences, they need to speak at that women's breakfast and and at that um, you know gathering of some sort that's smaller. Wow, wow, that's great. Um, so, what's your role for these these ladies that are 
taking your invites that you're getting. So you're giving them that. And I, I imagine from from the, what little I know about you, that's not so that you can have more free time. Um, no, you're probably, no. yeah, again, you're doing that for their sake. Yes. And then also this is not that you're just abdicating responsibility, but you're using this as an opportunity to invest in them as in they teach and then are more and more competent, qualified to do so. It's often more work for me to delegate it because yeah. I, I ask them to send me a full manuscript yeah. and then I have to give them feedback. And it's hard because that takes a lot of work to to give constructive feedback that will encourage them, but not discourage them if they've got quite a bit of progress to make. But I know that they can work on certain things. So, uh, yeah, no, it's definitely not so that I can, uh, you know, watch more Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, somebody uh, preached in in. Um at my church last Sunday. And, you know, it was all in all, I, I think I saved about an hour, you know, mm -hmm. um, because there was, you know, multiple phone conversations an in-person one kind of, kind of practicing it almost. Yeah. And then the follow-up feedback. Like, I think that average that if I add all that up, I think I saved about an hour. Yeah. However, <laughs> like next time it'll be a little bit shorter. Yeah. And and then also I just think it's it's good for the church to see more and more people, especially Irish leaders, yes. um, you know, filled up to do that. So yes. it might look like, oh yeah, cool. Mike gets the week off. Well, no, <laughs> but it's <laughs> it's better in the long term for 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 that guy, for this church, and then I think for this Christian community um broad in the broad way, it's good. So that's great. We've sure deviated from this conversation, but I think this is all, it's all loosely connected to the idea of like teaching being a community project. Mm -hmm. I was hoping to get advice from you on how we could pull in others to do, to do like kind of work alongside with us, but I'm learning even more in this conversation. So thanks mm. for taking this diversion. <laughs> oh, I'm glad it was fun. Anything, anything left or anything else that you think should be said on the notion of like Bible teaching as a community project? Like in it, like it's, it's solitary. Yes, but it's community. What, what else should we say before we kind of park this and then move on to feedback seeking? I'm ready for feedback seeking. How <laughs> can we seek feedback? Um, certainly there's better and there's worse ways to, um, to seek out feedback and then to give feedback. Uh, yeah. Do you want to talk about giving feedback or receiving feedback first? Uh, first, I'll just talk about giving feedback. Okay. And I think back to uh, my favorite uh, professor uh, who was at, uh, at my seminary, Dr. Green. Uh, he said uh, one time in class, a student asked him, how do you sit through church on a Sunday and not critique the sermon? Mm. And I love what he said, because he said that when when he goes to church, he's there to listen to the sermon and be ministered to it by it and to worship Christ. That comes first. Uh, so if someone asks for feedback uh, at a church that you're attending, visiting, whatever, then we should definitely be prepared to give that. But we should first fight to allow the sword of the spirit to work in our own hearts. And the cerebral exercise should be secondary. Uh, so that's just uh, across the board, something that probably us who are preaching nerds have to fight to to always do, right? Yeah, if I get asked to give feedback on mm -hmm. something, you know, which which you know happens, and uh, often oftentimes I'll say yes, and then I don't really get around to it. I'm thinking mm -hmm. of, of you, <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, I I try to listen to it like two or three times because I first I want to listen to it first as a Christian, and mm. then I want to listen to it again as a critic. Mm. I I first want to like I I there's there's a part of me 
I could tear apart anything, you know? Um, and I, I think that's a bad habit to have. So mm-hmm. I want to listen to it to be ministered to, and then I want to tear it to shreds <laughs> on, the <laughs> second, on the second go. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. Um, we can't do that very often in church, unless, of course, we go to the recording afterwards. Um, so I guess we can't do that. It's just that it's uh, it's time consuming. And maybe that's why you don't do it as often no, as yeah, you like. No, yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I actually, I'm actually not super good at giving feedback on the spot, like, you know, after after I've heard a, service, uh, a sermon, because like, well, I'm actually, you know, you know, I'm, brother, I was just trying to to get fed and you fed me. Thank you for feeding me. And here's some things that I really treasure. Mm. Um, if there's notable, massive gaffes, then of course I could, I could highlight those, but I try really hard. It's an internal, and my wife has seen me do it before. She, like, you know, she'll glance at me sometimes and, uh, and I know that because she's looking at me, she noticed something wrong. Yeah. And then she's looking at me to see if I noticed it. And of yeah. course I noticed it, but I'm trying to not think about it and then focus uh, on the next point. Good for you. Good for you. That's a good, that's exemplary. And it encourages me to try to do better because I, I have to really concentrate on listening to be broken by the the word and not um, think, oh, well, you know, uh, according to Brian Chappell, dot, 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 yeah. you know. <laughs> Is that the best way? To, does, does the New Testament give authorization to use that Old Testament passage that way? The, yeah, it's worth saying, but I think, yeah, I'm fighting against the impulse to have that be the first and the only thing that I that I think while that's taking place. Yeah. Um, but most of all, just being like, hey, this is this is true. And yeah, maybe Paul wouldn't have used Moses that way, but it's it's still God's word. And what can this, you know, how can I grow as a father, follower, spouse through this? Mm-hmm. So anyway, mm-hmm. so I, I'm glad that your professor had the same philosophy that I do. That's great. I was always affirming when smart people agree with me. Um, <laughs> yeah. What else about like, yeah, giving feedback? Have you, have you learned? Yes. One thing that I realized is that Obviously, but maybe not, uh, but it needs to be solicited. Uh, so yeah, I was at a women's point. retreat at my church uh, and uh, we invited a sister who's a, a conference speaker and she's an author and she's so great. And uh, she's the total opposite of me. She's sweet and soft-spoken and gentle and very feminine and very just like she, she resonates with people in a different way that I do. And uh, as she was teaching, I started taking some notes on my phone like I do when my husband preaches. And then I realized she didn't ask me for that. So I'm not going to give it to her. Mm-hmm. And and then um, at one point in during the weekend, she said, I got to admit that when I heard that uh, Angie was going to be at this retreat, I w- or maybe she didn't mention me by name, but because there's also like my 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 coach and the women's ministry director at our church, the deaconess, uh, she's a gifted teacher as well. So she's and my pastor's wife is an amazing teacher. Uh, she works with children and she speaks at women's retreats where it's like a mother daughter retreat. And she's amazing. And so she's like, when I heard that I was going to have to speak in front of all these gifted women, I was really intimidated. And so I realized that had I given her unsolicited advice, mm. it might have been kind of like, wait, um, I was already nervous. And now you just confirmed that, uh, you know, whatever. So if she were to come and ask me, I would still be able to give her what I thought because I just left it in my notes on my my phone, whatever. But another thing is that uh, feedback should be specific. Uh, so comments like, you did a great job. Yeah. Uh, or uh, that was really edifying are generally not as clear for the speaker to understand, okay, what what do I do that's good? And what do I do that's maybe not as good? So uh, the more specific the comment can be like, well, I really appreciated how you explained the meaning of verse five. I never understood that until, you know, you mentioned this one 
nuance of the Greek or whatever. Uh, so that's important. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was also going to say the feedback should be well-timed. Uh, so Sunday right after church is not the time to tell my husband or uh, my pastor, you know what? I, I, I was really um, not as happy about this, or I think you could have, you know, whatever it is. Uh, it should be something that if it's solicited, I uh, maybe keep it like, cause my notes are in my phone, you know, like I, I'll, I'll have the feedback in my phone and then I can just email it on you know, such and such date. So mm -hmm. just to to give the person who just spoke time to come down from that adrenaline of speaking and and not immediately get kind of like discouraged by sure. feedback, even if it's kind. Yeah, yeah. And have you been on the receiving end of some like poorly timed or even, well, I can't speak to motives, but like, yeah, have you ever received bad feedback before? Well, I... I have received feedback where the the positive feedback was vague and the constructive feedback was specific. Uh, and so it was a little puzzling because I'm like, oh, well, but what did I do right? Because mm -hmm. um, I would like to like continue to do the things that I did right well. But if the the feedback is general, it's hard to know how I can improve in that area um, or continue and improve, like do it even better. You know, if yeah. there's something that I'm doing well, then I want to nail it even more next time. Uh, so yeah, that, that kind of thing is, uh, something that, you know, I've heard, but then it's, it's common to give general feedback from like to hear general feedback from the average hearer. Uh, but, but this was more from like a, a fellow teacher. So okay. anyway, um, another thing that I think is important in, in, and this is related, is that it should be balanced. So if uh, we have trouble, let's say that the message was a train wreck. Uh, we still need to find something encouraging to say. And uh, I think of how when our kids are, are not doing great in school, but we see that they're working super hard, then we commend them for their effort. And so if, if uh, we're having to give feedback to someone who's young and maybe inexperienced, but who's working on their craft, then at least commend their effort and be specific about the ways in which they were intentional to prepare and study. And if they didn't, then, well, you know, maybe just make sure not to give them the mic next time, right? Yeah, um, yeah. But also not to overwhelm them with all of their flaws, because hmm. uh, there's so much that we could say that could really bring someone down. And so I would say, for example, that if we focus on the three most important things, especially if they hit, didn't ask, if they didn't hand us a sheet saying, yeah. fill out this sermon uh, feedback form, yeah. then let's focus on the most important things. So if the sermon was a running commentary that had little illustration, little application, and all law and no gospel, hmm. well then follow, focusing on the ums and the awkward pacing is secondary, you know, like content trumps delivery. <laughs> sure, sure. And uh, yeah, you, so you mentioned the idea of it being being balanced and then proportional. And then I appreciate what you were just saying, that the emphasis needs to be on the most important things. So yeah, there's there's issues of, you know, whatever, your hands were in your pockets. Mm -hmm. That's that's fine. But if they miss the gospel, if they didn't speak the name of Jesus, then that's far more important and should take more of your of your time. And yeah, you spoke earlier about how, yeah, sometimes you've received like generic, bland, positive feedback and then like specific negative. Um, isn't it isn't it nice when they're when they're both when it's an evenly balanced, mm -hmm. actually highlighting the positive and the room for growth 
rather than just like, oh yeah, in general, it was good. But yeah, here's seven things that you did that you did wrong. <laughs> uh, okay, so in this conversation, like, I'd like to maybe move on into some more specifics of this. So, like, mm-hmm. I'm a I'm a I'm a man. I'm an elder. I'm a lead pastor, and I have benefited from specifically seeking out like uh, females to look over my notes and to give like that preemptive contributions or viewpoints or questions or comments. And you're, you're all about that. Like you think that that should be the the case. Um, mm-hmm. Why do you think that men should seek out feedback from women? Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to say that I shared this question on a Facebook group of female theologians and they gave me some suggestions. So I want to give them ah. credit because uh, a lot of these women gave me some great insights. Uh, so this was a, a group project. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. You curated this. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I'd like to begin with a story. So when I was in seminary, I, I loved my preaching classes and uh, I loved my preaching professor. And uh, I remember him uh, and I having a conversation once in which I told him that I hope to be married someday. I was single at the time and that I'd love to be able to help my husband in his sermon preparation and giving him feedback. And he said, hmm, I'm not sure that every guy will like that. You know, uh, just prepare yourself for the fact that that, that might not fly. Uh, <laughs> and maybe that's true for some men, but uh, Dr. Green didn't know that I would marry Dan Thornton, who is mm-hmm. just this humble, godly man. And he loves it when I help him. And he sees it as part of the blessing of having me as his Ezra Konegdo, his suitable helper. Uh, so for example, he's on the council of the, the Gospel Coalition Quebec, uh, Sola. And, uh, they had a kind of a gathering of all the council members and they were discussing this very question of how do you receive feedback? How do you seek out feedback? And so Dan mentioned that, uh, he gets a lot of that from me. And the guys had to laugh at the thought that one of their members is married to a homiletician like him. And uh, most of them have to go out of their way to seek out input from other pastors because they're in small churches where uh, there's one trained pastor and then lay elders who aren't necessarily as equipped in in preaching. Uh, whereas for us, that's, that's our pillow talk. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah, and that, yeah, that, that might be on the more unique side. Uh, yeah. But... But yeah, it's now, um, yeah, my friend Pilgrim Benham, he talks about like mentors and, Mm -hmm. and this is not entirely the same thing, but he says like the best mentors are the ones that like know him best, love him most Mm. and tell him what he doesn't want to hear. Mm -hmm. And like, who is better capable or qualified to do that than, you know, one's own spouse Mm -hmm. who who literally loves you most, not in some figurative sense, um, but is like covenantly connected and promised to be with you for better or for worse. And they want you to succeed. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's great. Here's, here's to, yeah, not making that weird. (laughs) Well, and you know, you've had a number of guests on the show who have said that their wives are tremendous helps them in this in this area and not I don't know if necessarily the majority of those men who commented in that way were married to women whose job is to train women in bible exposition sure. uh, but it just goes to show that there is benefit from hearing from our wives first of all uh, but I also think that uh if pastors consider that half over half of their hearers are women over half right because we are over half the church yeah. then pastors stand much to gain from having uh these voices contribute to their preparation and feedback. And I 
just extensively uh, explained the benefits of listening to your wife's feedback, but I also want to uh, say that a pastor's wife shouldn't be the only female feedback because although her reality is valid, Mm -hmm. uh, she is not representative of the 40-year-old woman who's single and in the workplace, Uh, the working woman who's a mom, but who doesn't uh, homeschool, like the pastor's wife, who's a stay-at-home mom, perhaps. Uh, the pastor's wife doesn't understand the realities of a divorcee or of a widow mm-hmm. or of a single mom or of a teenager. And for that matter, a uh, pastor's teenage daughters don't necessarily represent all the teenage girls in the church. If he thinks, well, I talked to my daughters and uh, my wife, so I'm covered. Uh, and so this, all this uh, different list of demographics, these women will have different questions and reflections on gender and relationships and career and ministry and service and so many other things. Um, And so one of the women on the Facebook group suggested, why not um, do an exercise as a pastor when the next time you preach, prepare your sermon, imagine that your entire audience is only women and see how that would broaden your perspective, how you would think of ways to address some of the different demographics that I just listed. Yeah. I appreciate you. Yeah. Highlighting that, you know, let's say, yeah, my wife and my daughter are different than than yeah the 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 typical person and and for me that's that's doubly or triply so uh number one i'm i'm american and i live in ireland so that on the one hand there's there's that we have that mm-hmm. but you know and and this is not in a way to dishonor my daughter but mm-hmm. you know like we got in a, a pretty big uh, well one of our biggest arguments ever came from her wanting to read the book of revelation and i said you know rosie you should wait a little bit longer until you're a little bit older before you could read revelation and and she like was stomping around the house and she was going to mom and then mom was like no i agree with dad you know um that's weird (laughs) that's really weird um so i just i know that that's not everyone else's experience yes so I want to appreciate How old is Rosie? that. She's uh, she's nine now, but she was she was um, seven then. Oh. So she has since read Revelation, but it was like in a supervised way. Yeah, yeah. Um, but she wanted to read it when she was seven, and she just could not believe that mean old dad wasn't letting her read it when she was seven. Oh, I love that story. <laughs> I know it's weird, though, isn't it? <laughs> yes, I love it. Send her to me. But one day I'd love to hear her preaching, teaching. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. And so, yeah, even that, what a great kind of like, like grid, uh, you know, like there's, there's, yeah, people that are stay at home moms. There's people that like, don't want that, that are actually like thankful that they're not doing that. And, and each of them being like happy and godly and different view viewpoints of that second Mm -hmm. marriages, um, longing for marriage. There's all these different stages. And I appreciate, I guess, yeah, your nuanced look at that. There's no such thing as like a generic woman. And so we should do what we can to address the different kinds of, uh, yeah, that other half of people in the church. Mm -hmm. I think you're right to point out. Yeah. I think it's in most churches, it's more than half, you know? Yeah. 55, 60%. And so it's, it's worth some thought. Yeah. And also if you were to engage uh, a core group of women and men for that matter, uh, in listening and providing feedback, you would, uh, teach them to think more critically, listen more attentively and discuss more thoughtfully instead of listening passively, knowing that, well, you're not going to have an exam at the end of the sermon. You know, like, not that you're testing these women, but uh, when I know that I have to give feedback, I'm on the edge of mm. my seat. Mm. And I think that, that that could probably produce a, 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 
a greater participation in the act of worship if people are knowing that their pastor depends on them to help them help him make progress in his word work. And some churches even have like a, a question and answer session uh, periodically after the sermon where the pastor and some of the elders and maybe the women's ministry director or, you know, just a, a, a team of people are on stage to answer questions about that sermon and about other things. And yeah. it and it allows for an even more dialogical experience than the sermon, which is not generally dialogical. Although I did uh, the TGC women's cohort on how to teach the Bible and the session that Jen Wilkin taught has been transformative for me because she taught how, whether she's teaching five women in her living room or whether she's teaching 5,000 women at a TGC national conference in the USA, she teaches dialogically where she'll say, now what's the verb in verse four? And the women have to look at their Bible and answer, even though she's not actually able to hear the voices of 5,000 women uh, speaking under their lip, under their their voice, you know, mm. just, but they're engaging. And so there's something so beneficial uh, to speaking with your audience in a way that engages them. But a Q&A would obviously be even more dialogical than uh, a message, even if it was given in this format. Yeah, I'm I, I I'm reaching for um, between two worlds. I know that in the fir- one or first first or second chapter, uh, John Stott speaks about yeah that all good preaching is dialogical, um, and and he does not expect there to actually be call and response, mm-hmm. but he says that good preaching should raise a question, let it kind of linger a little bit, and then and then answer that question, and and that whether that's true in kind of the big picture, the big questions of life, mm-hmm. or the the microcosms that Jen Wilkin is looking at, what's the verb in this verse? But there should be some sort of thing of like, again, we talked earlier on about using the word of like audience or hearers, you know, or listeners, but like, it's a way of involving people that shows that your job is not just to sit and listen. <laughs> like mm-hmm. your job is to interact with these ideas and even these verses with me. And I'm yes. going to guide you in interacting with this. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, and another point uh, that I think is important is that illustrations uh, in a sermon I think that it might be more work for the pastor, but for a pastor uh, to go out of his way to use illustrations that depict women in a positive way, um, that speaks powerfully to to uh, over half the church. Uh, women that sh- that contributed contribute sh- showcase women that contribute to uh, the the body of Christ throughout church history and throughout their own communities of faith is is really meaningful. And I have a friend who's a pastor in training, uh, like a pastoral intern, and he regularly uses illustrations like that, that are inspiring because he references inspiring women. And uh, one, one time he quoted Jen Wilkin. And like, it's not very often that I hear uh, a woman Bible teacher, theologian quoted, and it says something to me. It, it it communicates the the dignity and worth of the contributions of women. And uh, I love this brother. It, it, it's just, it's so encouraging to, to, to do that. And pastors should get familiar with the writers that women are being influenced by in their churches. And, uh, and then if they're writing well and giving good insights, why not quote them, right? Sure. And uh, the same goes for application. Uh, illustrations and applications uh, can often maybe 
come from the experience of the speaker, but applications that relate to a variety of the hearers are really important. So we talked earlier about singleness and how most women I know who are single, it's undesired. And sure, there's some men who are single in the church, but the proportion of of godly single women is greater. And women struggling with infertility or miscarriage um, or singleness really struggle on Mother's Day, for example. So, so being sensitive to understand that Mother's Day is some is one of the hardest Sundays of the year for some women, and um, honoring their pain when celebrating the contributions of mothers and um, things like that is just something that maybe might not be on the radar of every pastor, but that um, would be helpful. Uh, or recognizing that there are women who are undergoing a physical or a psychological or sexual abuse um, at the hands of their husbands or who are struggling with body image issues or who are survivors of childhood trauma and sexual abuse or who are facing health challenges that are unique to women like PMS, uh, difficult pregnancies, uh, trouble with nursing, uh, postpartum depression, endometriosis, menopause, all these things. Some of these words may even be like unknown <laughs> to some of our male listeners, but they're yeah, very familiar to women. endometriosis is a new one. I haven't, yeah. I'll look that one up. Yeah, uh, but all that to say that when uh, when someone takes the time to understand the women and acknowledge their unique struggles, it honors them. And I've heard pastors mention male struggles and, uh, for example, challenge men who are struggling with a pornography addiction. And even then, sometimes that can be hurtful to women when there are women in the church who are also struggling with a pornography addiction. And when it's depicted as Mm. a guy problem, Mm. it just compounds the shame. Uh, so, um, that's just a few thoughts. Yeah. Hey, Hey, thanks. I just looked up endometriosis and, uh, yeah. Um, so thank you. I, I learned something, uh, just there during that. And, um, uh, yeah. And something, a very s- small thing that I have started doing in the past, uh, couple of years, uh, past year, to be honest, is, um, yeah, just the generic stories, uh, that I kind of make up on the spot, you know, about, you know, the artist who completes a painting, the, the runner who finishes the the race, I found as a man, it's I'm always imagining a man doing those things. And I've just tried to, um, you know, imagine it's a woman. So I, I mentioned, you know, just like how an artist completes her work and then stands back and she looks at it and she appreciates it. Or as the the athlete stretches her body and then crosses the finish line. It 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 just it's the easiest thing in the world to to do, but I've got specific feedback that people notice it. Uh, well, oh. people, women notice it. Yes. And it's it's a very small thing. It it goes over most people's heads, mm-hmm. but it's a small way to acknowledge the other half of the church. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm always up for learning. I, like, I, please, I'm not here to be like, listen, I've got this got this locked down. I'm not, I'm, I want to be growing in this and I'm putting conscious thought and work into it mm-hmm. in a way that some of my peers aren't. And I have found that I've had a lot of good conversations with my peers about like, you know, like brother, it's pretty easy to do this and it's not going to bother anybody and you're not going woke or anything. Yeah. It's just, it's just an easy way to acknowledge the other people in your church. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. And thank you for encouraging your brothers. And it means so much because you have tremendous influence and uh, God's given you a platform in which you can uh, raise awareness on this. And uh, uh, I think, for example, of uh, when Roe versus Wade was overturned, mm-hmm. uh, I heard in social media and in different Christian settings, people celebrating it and, and being very clear that abortion is murder. 
And I agree with that statement 100%. However, a lot of women in the church have had an abortion. So to state abortion is murder and not follow that with, but but there's grace, there's forgiveness, um, can, can really be harmful to a woman who hears that statement without the nuance of, of God's forgiveness, because she's probably living with the, the years of shame from whenever she made that terrible decision. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think about how I host a podcast uh, with another woman in France. She's a Bible teacher and, and um, she's in ministry as well. And we did two episodes on what the Bible teaches on menstruation. And we just thought that men were going to tune out uh, because a third of our audience is men. Like the statistics are, we're able to to know this. And so I wondered like, who's going to listen to us? And then uh, a couple uh, weeks, a few weeks ago, uh, I was in France on a ministry trip and I met one of uh, the men who's listened to every episode. And he said, you know, which ones were my favorite? the two episodes you did on menstruation. They helped me understand my wife. They helped me understand the scriptures better. And they were just so enriching. And it just made me laugh because what are the chances that the average cool podcast that I love to listen to with, you know, one man hosting or two men hosting is going to broach the subject. But this little example is just um, an anecdote about how if pastors hear from the women in their church, they might learn things that will help them better communicate the word on a Sunday morning from the pulpit. Sure. How should I address menstruation from the pulpit? <laughs> well, even just acknowledging that PMS isn't a joke, you know, okay. hmm. like, hmm. like, cause I think I've, I've heard it in those terms, hmm. but just acknowledging that when uh, you teach from, uh, you know, Mark five, with a woman with the issue of blood, mm-hmm. like the the pastor does not realize what it would be like for a woman to endure that because he doesn't embody that every single month like mm-hmm. I do. And so when I taught on Mark 5, I, I told that story a lot more graphically without being inappropriate, but just saying, just imagine her going down to the river and et cetera. Uh, so I'm not suggesting that, you know, every sermon should have a mention of, you know, the diva cup or something, but. <laughs> Boy, I'm learning so many different words in this conversation. <laughs> My Google search history is going to look weird after this. Um, You're going to start getting ads for washable menstrual pads or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, but to, yeah, but that it's not, that it's not just a, um, yeah, a, a, a quip, you know, or, you know, oh, but Time at that time of the month, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're 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 right to to highlight this. And you're right. The like in my mind, I'm thinking of all these old testament passages mm-hmm. about you know Levitical standards for for that type of stuff, but but you're bringing this into even New Testament stuff where this is something that even Jesus uh himself yes. like interacted yeah. with in inappropriate ways. Again, I think you're you're right to say, and I and I'm not getting this impression. I gotta you know, reschedule. I got a twelve. Got to do a twelve-week series on this. Um, I'm not going to. Yeah, um, please don't. I, in fact, yeah, this I won't. <laughs> Trust me, I won't. Uh, okay, and so, th- yeah, thank you. So those are fascinating, very interesting. Um, you've you've mentioned um, a, a book. Actually, I have it kind of in my um, uh, my ebook library, but I haven't read it yet. Uh, Preaching that speaks to women. What mm-hmm. what's that all about? Why should I read that? Okay, 
Uh, full disclosure, I haven't read it, but it was recommended oh, by the we Facebook have that in group, common. Women. Yes, <laughs> but it was endorsed by Haddon Robinson. Okay, yeah. so uh, that speaks volumes. Uh, so this woman is uh, a Bible teacher, a homiletician, seminary professor. And so she uh, writes this book to help pastors understand how to address their female audience. And I haven't read it, but it was recommended and I'd love to. So that's all I can say about it. But I, I did want to uh, mention another point uh, about the importance of translations. Uh, the CSB, the Net Bible, or the NLT or the NIV tend to translate the word men like anthropos as people. Now the word aner in Greek, so there's two words in Greek uh, for man, and one of them means people, humans, and the other one means specifically men. And we don't have that nuance in the English language. And the word the word adelphoi, which is translated brothers in, in older translations, they translate brothers and sisters. And the reason I think that's important is because for so long, I've, I've thought of many of those passages that say men as applying to only half the church. And mm -hmm. I've heard them taught that way. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. when we uh, use a translation that is inclusive without tampering with the gender of God, never, okay? Sure. I'm never yeah. suggesting that. But um, why not use a translation that in our generation speaks more? You know, like maybe in, you know, the 1700s, everyone knew that men meant both. But nowadays it feels excluding of half the church. So uh, I think that's helpful. Um, and do you have any thoughts on that? Well, yeah. I mean, so are you suggesting that we switch Bible translations or is it is it appropriate for the preacher to to say, and, you know, it says brothers here, but of course this is for men and women. Mm -hmm. or, or do you recommend that we buy new P Bibles? Uh, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't think you need to change a translation, change the Pew Bibles. But what I've done is that considering that a translation is not inspired, it's the original yep. manuscripts that were inspired. I will change the translation myself. Like when I'm reading, if, if something is um, not inclusive, but I like the other nuance that that translation brings, I'll just say brothers and sisters. Sure. Because I don't think that I'm, you know, adding to the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm simply, um, bringing two translations together in a sense, you know? Um, so, yeah. And uh, another thing that I think uh, is important is that when pastors pe preach from, quote, the pink passages, you know, the ones that women know that we've often memorized, that we've been taught at women's retreats and women's breakfasts, uh, they would especially benefit from our input because we might know those passages better than they do, you know, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. they've been used to teach us our complementarian values. Uh, so I think, for example, of a sermon I once heard on 1 Peter 3, that's like Peter's famous passage on submission, women's submission. And he concludes with a warning to husbands to be gentle with their wives, quote, lest your prayers be hindered. Uh, and the, the sermon that I heard, this dear brother didn't mention those words. He didn't, he didn't touch that. And maybe he just ran out of time. That's probably what happened. But I think that it's so important to not skip those words because they are the they're they're the crux in the sense of mm. the man's responsibility in that section. Uh, so that's something that um, a woman had had a woman you know given input. She'd say, I, "I'd love to hear you speak on this in particular sure. because I'm very familiar with my responsibility. I'm a good complementarian. You know, I I know what I need to submit." It means. Um, 
And then another time I heard in a, without a lot of intervals between them, I heard two messages in two different settings on first Timothy chapter one, uh, this very important passage where uh, Paul is commending the faith of his protege, Timothy, highlighting the influence of Lois and Eunice, his mother and his grandmother. Both preachers skipped over that entirely. They didn't even mention the crucial role of mothers and grandmothers and and women, older women, have over the next generation. And uh, in one of the cases, I reached out to the brother and I, I didn't even know him, but I had spoken to him very briefly. And um, so I sent him uh, a message and he said, thank you so much. I will make sure that the next time I teach this, I incorporate that. He received it so well and yeah. we've become friends since. So it, it was just a, a model of a godly, humble uh, reception of, of a feedback like yeah. the one I mentioned. Well, I recently did um, Philippians. I, I did kind of a four-week series on Philippians 4. Mm-hmm. And so there's, in verse 2, there's Yodia and Syntyche. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, I enjoy reading. I like to read. I also like to listen ser- to listen to sermons. I'm a, mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a Bible nerd. I'm a preaching nerd. So I like mm-hmm. to listen, you know. And um, I tell you, the way that different preachers handled verse two, it kind mm-hmm. of, it kind of, it tipped their hands to a lot of, a lot of things mm-hmm. I've heard. And we don't know a whole bunch about Yodia and Syntyche. We know that they labored side by side with Paul. Cool. We know and that Clement. their names. Yeah. We know that their, their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Mm-hmm. We, we know that. Um, but then, yeah, I heard some preachers say, oh, look, you know, isn't it great that like the church in Philippi had female elders? Here we have these female elders, Yudia <laughs> and Syntyche, that are there. And then others have talked, you know, use that as an opportunity to make a quip about how maybe they were arguing about what kind of salad to bring to the potluck, the church oh. potluck. And, you know, you know how women are. They're so argumentative. And um, yeah. And again, from looking into that passage, we don't. I don't believe that they're elders. And I also believe this is something far more significant than church potluck issues. Yeah. But the way that they're either elevated or dismissed, it it showed um, how the preacher understood the, you know, maybe women's roles in general. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And, you know, uh, Philippians 1 verse 1 says to, to, the, to the deacons and elders, you know, mm-hmm. so I would be comfortable with uh, maybe considering that they were deaconesses, you know, because Paul uses that, that notion elsewhere, but yeah. (laughs) I'll consider it. I'll I'll put that (laughs) within the spectrum of church potluck too. (laughs) Yes. Something else that I wanted to mention is that uh, Jen Wilkin, she gave a message uh, at an Acts 29 conference in which she discussed uh, women in the church. And she said that one of the reasons that's important to hear the voices of women is that women don't outgrow their vulnerability. Uh, therefore, they tend to have eyes for other vulnerable people, vulnerable people, the marginalized, the powerless, the weak. And they, they notice these things a bit faster than a pastor might. Uh, and she used as uh, evidence for that the number of women who are in foreign missions, who are in social work, I would add, and education, special education, human services, and other caring professions. So the input of women can help us recognized where we might not be seeing those who are needing of, of special care and gentleness in our sermon preparation. Yeah. 
And also, as a side note, uh, I know this, uh, we're not focusing on that, but I think it's also important to get a different set of demographics give, giving input, you know, different nationalities and ethnicities and religious backgrounds. Like a Muslim background believer in Senegal would mm. have a far different uh, set of lenses than the Catholic background believer when my husband was preaching or teaching at the seminary. So um, I think we just have much to learn from all kinds of different perspectives. Yeah. 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 Whether it's through books that we consult or as you're saying, yeah, people that we bring into the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, well, this, yeah, this conversation is diverse, good, and, and long. I'm yes. going to ask one, I'm going to ask one more question. Um, um, but so this has come up a couple of times, even in our earlier conversation, but you know, mm-hmm. like you're a complementarian, I'm a complementarian. Mm-hmm. Um, why should people of our theological persuasion particularly be interested in this? Mm-hmm. Good question. Now, uh, before I answer it directly, I just want to ask you, have you ever attended a women's conference as a spectator or observed a woman teaching women? Yeah. Okay. Uh, then <laughs> yeah. you, then um, you probably had to do something. Because some I'm the only person on staff at my church and we hosted a women's conference. And so I had to be there to do slides. So nice. I was doing slides. So nice, that's great. did I vol- did I offer to go? No. <laughs> did I <laughs> did I register and pay? No. But somebody <laughs> needed to do slides. So that was that was me. Up until this year, the answer would have mm-hmm. been no. Mm-hmm. Good. Well, I imagine that you had to do a fair amount of deciphering. And uh imagine that women week after week are having to decode the way the men speak because the way that men communicate is not identical to the way that women do. And especially in our complementarian circles, we believe that men and women are not mutually interchangeable. Now, mm. I don't pendle, peddle and gender stereotypes. And sometimes I find these broad strokes like, well, all women are th- this and all men are like that to to be um, mistaken. And Certainly. I, I, my, I'm not very feminine on the stereotype spectrum. And my husband is not like, you know, grunting and spitting and burping kind of guy. Um, mm. He's he's sensitive and he's gentle and caring and very manly, uh, but in a godly way, not in a I'm going to go shoot things way. Um, mm. So uh, we don't conform to those stereotypes and we shouldn't perpetuate them. But at the same time, as complementarians, we we see that there is a distinction. And if we want to honor that, then we should recognize that, and, and my husband Dan was even helping me with this this morning. He was saying that if preaching is persuasion, then to effectively call all of our hearers to spirit-filled gospel transformation, then we need to connect with them in meaningful ways. Uh, and so uh, after you know listening to that Jen Wilkin message that I mentioned, she, she mentioned that uh, so many egalitarians, unlike egalitarians, we see these differences and we acknowledge that men are different and yet they preach as if we weren't different you know like like pastors might not always preach to half their church as if they were different than them uh and uh jen wilkins she said are you familiar with the trends that are influencing uh the women in your church and she mentioned essential oils as a joke but there's so many elements of our christian subculture that are uh just filtering through women's ministries. And she asked, are you familiar with the 10 dominant Christian female voices on the web? And the reason that's important to a pastor is because those women 
you've got them for 45 minutes during your sermon on a Sunday, but they're listening to that lady's podcast mm-hmm. and reading her books and buying her merch. Uh, so some of them are awesome and they're spurring your women on to faith and good works, but others could be subtly influencing your, the women in your church in ways that you would not desire. So part of ministering to your women is knowing what speaks to them, what appeals to them in X woman's word ministry and uh, try to consider ways in which your word ministry can learn from how to speak to half of your church. And uh, women need mothers in the church. And we don't believe in female elders, but if we are seeking out women to speak into the vo- the lives of the women in our church, then pastors don't have to be the only authoritative teacher in the church. And I know that that's difficult in small churches, but there's, if women don't hear women teaching ever, then they won't know that they need to study to be equipped to be women of the word. And so, and however that works out in a small church dynamic or uh, a big church dynamic, uh, it's important to have these kind of avenues for them to hear other voices other than yours without compromising our complementarian convictions. Sure. Yeah. And if there's, um, yeah, if, if the pastor has an awareness of, let's say, 10 teachers online that do have an influence in the church, what what are ways that, and, and let's say there's concerns about four or five of them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, this podcast is getting pa- passed around. You know, it's like, oh, I'm, not, I'm not crazy about that. Mm-hmm. How can How can an overseer, like, express concern about this without coming off as maybe like a domineering man mm-hmm. trying to shut down women's voices? When it's, like, it's actually not particularly that it's a woman, it's that like, yeah. I think that she doesn't, she's not really offering the best or most healthy yeah. Uh, yeah. Christian worldview. Yeah. I think that if a woman's ministry <laughs> at a church is a silo that is operating completely independent of the oversight and care and nurturing and shepherding of the elders, then he will only intervene when he's like, you're reading what, sure. you know, <laughs> but if he's in close communication with the woman's ministry director and he is um, shepherding her as she shepherds her uh, women in the church, then it won't be a, a matter of putting fires out. It'll mm. it'll come up naturally and he can channel her towards better resources because she herself is saying, I really appreciate this podcast by this woman and this one. Um, and so I'm encouraging the woman in this direction. So there's, there's a, a symbiotic relationship, uh, but that requires that from the get-go, uh, ministries to women be closely connected to their elders without them necessarily being, you know, domineering, like you said, because pastors don't want that and they don't have time for that, you know, but uh, if they trust the women in their leadership to inform them and to keep them abreast of the issues that their women are facing, then they can strengthen, both she can strengthen his preaching and he can strengthen her Bible teaching as um, he guards the doctrine of the church's women's ministry by channeling them towards better resources. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm kind of replaying even what I what I said. It's like, how can I, uh, how can somebody, um, you know, come in and then quash the voices of these people without looking like you're quashing the voices of these people? <laughs> but I think what you're pointing towards is actually a whole lot more Philippians chapter four, verse three. You know, like labor side by side. Yes. Um, that's kind of what we're what we're on about, what we're looking mm-hmm. for, laboring side by side. Um, and then out of that, 
I don't know, that soil, that ecosystem, then like the healthy, healthy fruit is coming out of that to yes. belabor that point or to, to stretch that analogy too far. But uh, <laughs> Well, thank you so very much. Uh, you know, sometimes they're 25 minute episodes. Sometimes they're <laughs> pushing an hour plus. Wow. Um, but people listen to them sped up most of the time anyway. So that's, yep, I that's do. fine. I've, I've enjoyed this. I, you know, it's um Me too. as much as I might have, like I'm, I'm, I'm trying, I'm taking, I'm taking steps, I think in, in this side type of direction. Um, it's wonderful to, to speak with you and even be learning from you, getting more ideas. I know that, you know, a lot of people in my position are only kind of beginning to think of this basically because they push play on this podcast episode, you know? Hmm. Um, so I'm thinking about it a little bit more than maybe some of my brothers. And hopefully that this conversation is just spurring some conversations and can cause, I guess, the other half of the church to be well represented and cared for. Because as we'd agree, there's, you know, we're different. We're created in God's image and we're created differently. And we want to yeah, honor and help and teach God's word in a way that ministers to, to both halves of the church or Amen. 60% and 40%. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to certainly link to many of those episodes that you talked about. And for the, the Francophiles, what's the, what's the name of your other podcasts? It's called Chrétien. It's singular. It's just the word for Christian uh, in the female uh, singular. So yeah, I can share that link as well. And apparently men like it too. So yes. <laughs> one third. All right. Well, thanks so much, Angie. Um, always a pleasure. And uh, I hope that this conversation and uh, all that we do at Expositors Collective help you to grow in your personal study and public proclamation of God's word. Thanks, Angie. Thanks. All right. Well, thank you so much, Angie. I really enjoyed that conversation. You brought a lot to the table and you've given all of us food for thought to be sure. Well, at the beginning of the episode, I announced that our next in-person training event is going to be in Livermore, California on May 24th and 25th. Uh, to keep up to date on this announcement and others, visit our website, expositors.co. You can scroll down to the bottom of the page and you can sign up for our mailing list. It's about once a month. It has some updates about what we're doing as a ministry. I also make sure to include a section called Mike's Monthly Ministry and Message Writing Miscellany, which is just basically a collection of articles, podcast, YouTube videos that I've come across and that I think that you like. If you are a listener to this podcast, especially if you listened all the way to the end, you and I probably are into the same stuff. So make sure that you scroll down to the bottom of that website, add your email address, and then you'll get Mike's monthly ministry message writing miscellany, um, some stuff that I think that you'll like. Well, next week on the podcast, you are in for a treat because it's myself, Nick Katie, Brian Stupar, and John Whitaker uh, speaking about ways that the pulpit on Sunday morning can push people towards pathways of progress in their spiritual journey. I hope that this episode and all that we do at Expositors Collective help you to grow in your personal study and public proclamation of God's word. This podcast is a part of CGN Media, a podcast network that points to Christ. We are supported by listeners like you. To help us create more great shows, visit cgnmedia.org support.